Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. If you uh, don't know who I am, maybe you are joining us online and you have never seen my face before, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and it is an absolute joy to be with you this morning and opening up the Word of God together. We will be in Matthew chapter 14 and looking at verses 22 through 33. In the year 155 A.D., a a disciple of John, the Apostle John, by the name of Polycarp, was being sought after to be martyred. They wanted him to recant his faith in Jesus. And so his friends had said, listen, if you are unwilling to recant your faith, which you have said you are, they, they are going to kill you when they find you. So you, you would do well to flee and to hide and to wait this thing out. And so at the advice of his friends, Polycarp, he flees into uh, the countryside and he finds himself having haven at a small farm. Well, Polycarp ends up having a dream, and I won't explain the whole dream because I really don't understand it. It's between Polycarp and the Lord. But he ended up kind of getting to the point where he, he realized he didn't want to flee from persecution. And so they found him, not however before he did flee one more time to another small farm, but it was at that farm when the Roman officials were coming to get him, that he decided he would make his stand for Christ no matter what was to come. And so Polycarp told everyone that he thought it was the will of the Lord that he suffer and die for Jesus. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that Polycarp was indeed captured and he was tied to a stake where they were going to burn him alive if he would not recant his faith. Polycarp did not budge. And so, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, he says that they lit the bundle of sticks on fire, and yet the the sticks lit a fire all around Polycarp, and he would not burn. And so, frustrated and probably bewildered and, let's be honest, extremely freaked out, they decide that it would be best just to go ahead and stab him and let him bleed to death. And so they did. They stabbed him in his side. And when the blood gushed out of his body, it extinguished the fire. And Polycarp died. But Polycarp didn't die before he prayed to the Lord and thanked God that he was deserving to suffer for Christ. What if the most perilous of times actually serve to teach us our greatest lessons about faith and trust in Jesus? I think the history of God's people teaches us that the very moments that cause us our greatest fear and anxiety may very well be the moments that we need the most. So as we come to our 
scripture this morning, I think that this story is certainly in line with that understanding. Jesus is two years into his ministry. He has been preaching and teaching and performing miracles all out through, all throughout the area. He has just come from Galilee, or excuse me, Nazareth, where he's been rejected. He's now in Galilee, and he has just fed the 5,000. The famous miracle where Jesus takes a few fish and a few loaves of bread and multiplies it and feeds probably somewhere around 14,000 people. And it's after that moment that the people make an uproar and they want Jesus to be their king. If there's a man that can come in and multiply the money in your wallet, we're, we're going to want to be friends with him, right? Right? And so that's what they want to do. He's there to provide for them, and yet this is not God's will for Jesus. And so Jesus and his disciples, they, they realize that they need to escape this chaos. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind seized, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father God, we beg you to work this scripture into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would use this text not only to encourage us, but to change us, to undergird us in our understanding of the gospel and in our intensity as disciples of Jesus, that you would cause us to see the truth, if not for the first time, afresh, that we might cherish and rejoice and glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have graciously and freely given us through your Son. Father, we pray that we would exalt Christ this morning and that everyone in this room and everyone watching online would walk away having heard of Christ and the things that he has done for God's children. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this word. Be with us now, and it's in Christ's name, amen. In the midst of difficult seasons of life, what does being a disciple look like? We all face difficulties in life, varying degrees of suffering, different types of scenarios in our families, our jobs, and what have you. 
in the moments of extreme difficulty, what does it mean to look like a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because it's one thing to be a disciple when everything is going well. It's one thing to trust and hope in the Lord when things are good. But what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like when things are difficult? And I think a question that we should ask as Cross Point Church is, in these circumstances, what might Jesus be teaching His church and revealing to the world? In our suffering, what is it that God is teaching us, but also in teaching us, what is He intending to reveal to the world about Himself? That, that, that we just need to hang in there and wait it out? Or that maybe the difficult moments in life for the believer are actually intended to increase and deepen our faith and trust in the Lord that we claim. That even the difficult moments, the suffering, is intentionally used and ordained by God Himself for the good of His people. It's easy to look at Joseph and say, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. It's not so easy to claim that when you've just lost a parent or when you've suffered through a tragedy. And so what is it that we are to do? Well, I think our scripture this morning helps us to understand what not only we are to do, but what the world is supposed to see in us in these moments. And so I have two points. The first is this, discipleship is a lifelong exercise in trusting Jesus over everything. So as this story unfolds, like I said, Jesus has just performed a miracle where he's fed 5,000 men, so probably 14,000 people, an estimate. And the people want him to be their king, obviously, he is a miracle worker. He can provide everything that they need. So let's just go ahead and put him in office now. But that's not what God has for Jesus. And so they flee. And, and often as we're reading this passage of Scripture, we read through this, we see it, and we get into the sea, and that's where the story begins for us. But before we get in the boat, we need to be really careful that we lay some groundwork and understand something about Jesus. The Bible tells us in verse 22 that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. He, he compelled them into the boat. So what I want us to realize at the outset of a scripture like this, where we are going to be in a sea with the disciples in a boat that is about to capsize, the waves are crashing in upon it, is that Jesus intends for us to be there. You see, it's not always the ways we would hope and wish for that God will use to make us more like Jesus. It, it's most often not the way we would hope for it to happen, for God to deepen our affection of Jesus. Even in these perilous moments, God is not only working, He is there with an intention So these disciples, as they go out, as the, as the boat makes its, its venture into the sea and the, the wind kicks up and, and the sea becomes deadly, 
this is exactly where Jesus wants them to be. I believe what's happening here, not only for the disciples, but for us as we read and consider this text, is that Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is intending to expand our understanding of the sovereignty of God. That God is not only sovereign when things are going well, God is not only sovereign of the positive, good outcomes in our lives, God is sovereign no matter what is to come. Whether it be a boat tossed in the sea or a pandemic, God is sovereign and he is intending something good for his people. There's no mistake being made here. God has not ceased to be sovereign in this moment. He made the disciples get into the boat, knowing exactly what would happen. Because he wanted to teach them something about himself. He wanted them to have a deeper and fuller understanding of what it means to serve Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and all of your life, every moment of your life, every circumstance that comes into your life. God is sovereign and He is intending to teach us something about Jesus. And so I would encourage us, just as we continue in the story, that we not so quickly favor the resolution of this story, that, that we don't find ourselves getting in the boat and just getting to the point where Jesus is walking on water, Peter's walking on water, then everyone's walking on water, and then they're on the land, right? It's amazing. Jesus is a miracle worker. He walked on water. Hallelujah. No, we need to spend some time in the boat, we, we need to sit with the disciples here in the boat because there is a really important lesson for disciples of Jesus Christ that can only be found in the boat in this storm. We don't want to miss that God is specifically intending to use this moment to exalt Jesus. We're not learning something in the boat about ourselves, about how strong we can be in the midst of, of perilous moments. We're, we're meant to learn something about Jesus. And the reason we know that that's true is because when Jesus walks onto the water and the disciples are, are freaking out, they think that this is probably some sort of like pirate, like a shipwrecked captain who is roaming about the sea looking for a ship. As they see this, this man, this, this figure, this ghost coming towards them, they are terrified. And the thing that Jesus says is this, take heart, it is I, do not fear. Jesus could have said a lot of things in that moment. I, I think if I were to write this story, I would probably say, Jesus then told them, hey, don't worry about it, you're fine. You're going to be okay. But that's not the way it happens in this story. The focus doesn't go on the disciples so much as it goes on Jesus. The Bible doesn't want the disciples at this moment, he doesn't want us in this moment to look at our circumstances and then look to ourselves. We are to look to the great I am. It's not you're going to be fine, it's take heart, it is I 
in this moment, it is I. In, in John's gospel, John gives uh, these seven I am statements, and I won't try to quote all of them to you because I will mess up. But he says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd. And John takes a lot of time to unpack those in his gospel. But when I heard this for the very first time, I was pointed immediately back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where Moses is wandering about in the wilderness trying to hide and, and get out of Egypt. He's just murdered someone. And it's there in the wilderness, in a burning bush, that God confronts him. And Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And eventually we understand in that story, the story of Exodus, that, that God is intending to use Moses to go to his people and to release them from the captivity of the Egyptians. And he says, okay, if, if, if you're wanting to use me to unfold this plan for your people, you're, you're telling me you're wanting me to be the mouthpiece of this deliverance, then who, it, who am I supposed to say sent me? He says, just tell them that I am sent you. You see, the interesting thing about the story of Exodus as it unfolds is that God doesn't intend Moses to become famous in this story. The intention in the book of Exodus in using Moses is to set the captive Israelites free, to release them from the captivity and the certain death that they will face if they stay in Egypt. And so God commissions this man named Moses, and he uses Moses to lead them out of Egypt into the land of promise eventually. I think what Jesus is getting at here in our text is that he's teaching them a, a great bit of biblical theology, that Jesus is the deliverer, but he's not just a deliverer like the people may think they want or need, right? Whenever the crowd starts this uproar and they say, hey, we want to make you king, he says, no. That's not how my kingdom advances in this world. You can't force me to be your king just simply to provide for your needs. Jesus is reminding them of that truth. He's not just their deliverer from difficulty. He's their deliverer from the captivity of sin and death. You see, Jesus is not only powerful to deliver these people from their physical circumstances. He's the only one who is powerful enough to deliver them from themselves. In this boat, we're not learning about how courageous we can be. We're learning how weak and frail we are and how great of a deliverer that we need. Jesus is clearly introducing himself as that deliverer here in this text. He doesn't simply tame the fiercest seas. He tames the hardest heart. And he alone can do that. You know, I can imagine it right now, and I'm sure you can. This is not a difficult scenario to put yourself into. 
right? We don't have to be little kids with big imaginations to get into this passage, right? I can imagine it and you can imagine it. The waves are crashing on the boat. The boat is beginning to fill with water. I'm sure the disciples, their, their, their breathing is increasing. Their heart rate is increasing. They're burning more calories than they've ever eaten in their entire life. And they're focused on the boat. And they're just hoping and praying that the splintering that they see in the wood doesn't crack open and the water gush in from the bottom. And they're, and they're just thinking, if, if we can just put the sails down, if we can just lean in, and if we can just row a little bit harder then things will be fine. We just have to row a little bit harder. Matthew, row harder. I'm sure Peter is sitting in the back calling out commands, row, row, row. It's an all too familiar scene for us. I'm sure you've been, um, been acquainted with moments of, like this in your life. But the reality is for, for us, it's not a boat in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and we're not fighting waves. It's a pandemic that leaves us wondering what's going to happen. It, it's a marriage that you are just concerned with. The, the, the one place that you feel that you should have a haven of hope is crashing in around you. It's your dating life. You feel like, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. What is going to happen? Is, is this really what the Lord is giving me? It's your children. Maybe your, your little ones that have tempted you to sin a lot. Maybe it's your older children that cause you to grieve because they are far from the Lord. Maybe it's sickness and death. We're no strangers to that right now. Maybe it's the government and wondering what their role is, what they're doing, what their intention is in this moment. And the list goes on and on and on. The circumstances are infinite. And each of you have your own thing that maybe you're thinking about in your mind right now. But the story is the same. Overwhelming circumstances, overwhelming odds. But if I can just row a little bit harder... If we can just get past this pandemic, if my child would just come to Christ today, if my marriage would just resolve itself this week, if my parents wouldn't be so difficult tomorrow, then it would be fine. I want us to understand that it's it's these types of moments, it's these circumstances, these, these difficulties, these things we wouldn't ask for ourselves, these are not just moments to be escaped. 
If God is putting them in the boat on purpose with intention for them, for their good, then our negative circumstances are not just moments to be gotten out of. They are moments that God has given us to learn that we can trust Christ. You know, the perilous moments teach us that in order to be more like Christ, we must take our self-trust and pledge it to Jesus. That we must look to Jesus. And that's our second point. Discipleship is a lifelong exercise in keeping our eyes on Jesus. So, Peter in this grand moment, in, in, this, in this perilous moment, ridden with fear and uncertainty, Peter steps up as the leader of the disciples, and he calls out, hey, okay, if, if it's really you, then call me out onto the water, and I'll walk to you, and then we'll know for sure that, that everything is fine. We'll, we'll trust you in this moment. And so Jesus, obliging his request, says, Okay, Peter, come onto the water. And Peter, the, the manly man he is, he, I don't know how he got out of the boat. Did he jump onto the water? Was it one foot at a time? Did he tap his foot on top of the water a few times? I don't know. But all of a sudden, Peter's on the water. And he's more of a man than I will ever be. Peter walks out to Jesus and in a great turn of events, he starts to sink. You know, Peter serves as a lesson for every disciple. Hope cannot be found in the periphery. Hope cannot be found in the periphery of a follower of Jesus. Peter's faith, there's this little moment where, where Jesus calls out to Peter and he says, oh, you of little faith. And I think so often we take that to mean, oh, man, if Peter just would have had more faith, then he wouldn't have sunk and it would have been fine. Well, I, I think that would be coming to a conclusion that's really not the intention of this passage. I don't think we're talking about the, the power that Peter has within himself. I think we're talking about what Peter has done. Peter doesn't become a person of little faith because he's weak. He becomes a person of little faith because he lost sight of Jesus. He, he becomes double-minded, the text tells us. He, he is focused on Jesus. He is trusting in Jesus to do exactly what he asked Jesus to do for him. And yet there's a moment when he's walking towards Jesus that the waves become too intense and he begins to sink because he has lost focus on Jesus and all of the circumstances in his life have become too great and they have drowned out his sight of the Lord. And it's in that moment when Peter becomes conflicted as to whether or not he trusts Jesus or the power of this sea that he begins to sink. This is not a story about how great of a faith Peter had. 
the guy stepped out of the boat onto a raging sea. Let's just say Peter has some faith. But, but this is not for us to, to learn how to become more faithful in terms of power. That, you know what, bring anything, Lord, because my faith is so great, I have such a strong, bold faith that I can take anything. It's not the lesson. That's, that's borderline arrogance. That's, that's not what Matthew is intending us to understand. And by the way, Matthew's probably in the boat. Right? When he's saying everyone's scared, the circumstances are crazy, he's saying, when I was there, I'm telling you, this was nuts. Peter's momentary lapse is one that I think we are oftentimes tempted to have in the midst of of perilous moments, in the midst of struggle and difficulty and suffering. And it's letting our fear for ourselves be greater than our trust in Jesus' ability. That's what's happened here to Peter. He has taken an account of the situation. And for just a moment, he said, I think the waves are more powerful than Jesus. But it's in this moment, in, in the, the climactic moment, in the most perilous, ominous moment of this story that we see one of the greatest truths. Peter has an epiphany, and it's this. As I'm sinking to the bottom of the ocean, it hit me. Jesus is the only one that can save me. The disciples... They're in the boat still freaking out. And in fact, they're trying to row somewhere that they're not even able to get. The boat, most likely, even if I were to get back to it, is is going to capsize and sink. In this sea, there's only one person that can save me. And sometimes it takes sinking to the very bottom of the sea to realize or to be reminded of the truth that there's nothing else for me in this moment. There's no other hope for me other than Jesus. You know, if if you find yourself right now in, in some sort of difficulty, okay, we're all going through a pandemic. I think we're all struggling right now, right? But, but, but in these moments, far too often we think so little of ourselves when we get like to the, to the points where we're like, oh, it's just now that I'm turning to trust in Jesus. Praise God! Peter is admirable in this moment. If, if you're a person who struggles in terms of your faith, your trust, and with, with doubt, Peter's your dude. So did he. And upon this rock, which is quickly sinking to the bottom of the ocean, God builds His church. Take heart 
Whatever your circumstance is right now or whatever your circumstance will certainly be in the future, take heart that it's not about how quickly you can turn yourself around and be faithful. It's that you don't lose sight of Jesus and that when you do in your weakness, remember to look back to him and cry out to him. You know, sometimes when you get really excited about the Bible, you like hit puberty again, and I think I just did that. I don't know what happened. You know, it's embarrassing, but we all heard it. It's just like, let's just make a joke out of it. But, but it's, it's in this moment. In one of Peter's many moments in the Bible, where he gets to the very, very bottom and remembers, oh, It's Jesus who can save me. It's only Jesus who can save me. I've been looking at the waves for too long. I lost sight of the fact that I can't win a staring contest with these waves. I'm not going to be able to tame them on my own. I'm not only going to have to cry out to Jesus to save me, I'm going to have to trust that He's the only one who can. And whether he saves me when it's just my ankles in the water, or he saves me when my kneecaps are in the water, or he saves me when the water is coming above my nose, he will save me. Because he's the only one who can do it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, tells us, that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. This story is not a story about a faith that can do anything. You know, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to look at Matthew 14 and think, man, with, with a little bit of faith, God can do amazing things. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. But in this moment, that is not where we are supposed to look. We're not necessarily supposed to see that with just a little faith, we can do amazing things. Yes, church, that's true. If you are a child of the Lord, then you can do amazing, abundantly exceeding, wonderful, marvelous things because of God's grace to you and His grace through you. You may even be able to step out of a boat onto a raging sea. Don't try it because you're going to die. But maybe that's something you could do. But this story in particular is not about a faith that can do anything, but that our faith can only find rest in the one who endured everything for us. You know, in this moment, we have the pleasure of being able to look at this story on this side of the cross or this side for you. 
We've seen the completed work of God through Christ for his people, that he has sent his son to be a sacrifice for undeserving sinners, and that he took that to the cross as Brad prayed, and he paid the price of God's judgment perfectly. Exactly what God was doing in Exodus in in delivering the Israelites from the captivity of the Egyptians, he did through Jesus in delivering his children from the captivity of sin and death. In in moments like this, in, in perilous moments that we face, in the difficulties of life, we can't endure because we have enough faith. We can endure because Christ has endured everything for us. And that even the most difficult, horrible circumstance, even if it be your life being taken from you, like Polycarp, you can pray at the end of your life, thank you, Lord, that you saw me worthy of suffering for Christ. Because what he has done for me will not return void because of my circumstances. If, if I could boil this down to one sentence, and then you gave me 20 chances to give you 20 different sentences, here's one of those sentences. This passage of Scripture, it serves to lift our eyes to look past all of the chaos, all of the chaos in this world, all of the personal chaos in our lives, and to see that the cross has effectively eliminated the possibility that Jesus' disciples can ever be overcome. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is nothing that you can face, there's nothing that I can face, not the worst of pandemics, not the greatest or the, the worst of governments, that can derail the sovereign will of God from being unleashed in our lives through the cross of Christ. Nothing. And that's difficult to do. But Peter was allowed to do it while he was sinking to the bottom of the sea. It's not about being the most faithful person in the room or being the person of greatest faith It's about being reminded and oftentimes failing that you must keep your eyes upon Jesus. You must remember to see Him. You must fight all of the chaos in your peripheral vision and look to the cross of Jesus Christ because that's the only reminder that you will have that Jesus will save you no matter what. That nothing overcomes the church of Jesus Christ. I I do want to tell you, though, unbeliever, I care for you enough to to do two things. Number one, I want to tell you that this grace that we have prayed about, we've read about, we've sung about, and hopefully we have preached about, this grace is being freely offered to you right now. That if you will turn from yourself that if you will take your trust that you have placed in yourself and your circumstances and you will cry out to Jesus and place that faith in his death and resurrection, then he will save you. 
But don't be like the crowd and think that his saving means that you're going to have all the fish and bread you need right now. His saving you may mean that he immediately puts you in a boat and pushes you into a storm to show you that he is worthy to be trusted, that he alone is mighty to save, that he alone is the great deliverer. But if you will do that, he will save you. But the flip side of that coin is that if you don't do that, your boat does capsize. Your boat capsizes. There will be a storm that will be too much. And your boat will capsize. And you will cry out, save me. And there will be no one there to reach their hand out unless you're trusting that that person is the Lord. You know, I, I, I don't think, um, I, I don't, in just, I guess, my theology, the way I understand the Bible, you know, I don't really think of the Bible in terms of, like, reading the signs for end times and things like that. Certainly those things are here. Certainly we have to understand those things. But do you want to know what I'm concerned with the least right now? The way the world ends. The thing I'm more concerned about is that there are thousands and thousands of people dying that probably don't know the Lord. You know, I'm not worried about whether the United States is going to put a chip in my hand. I, I just like, I'm, I'm not going to do it anyways if they tried. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm not worried about it one way or the other. I don't want us to be a church. I don't want us to be believers who are more concerned with the circumstances of our life that we become so consumed with the chaos that we forget that we're supposed to be looking at Jesus. That no matter what is to come, Jesus is the only one who can save. So we may be tempted, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, yeah, okay, well, Peter's still a loser. Right, if I walked out on that water and I made the first step and it was firm, I'd go all the way. Right? All the disciples would be like, Tyler, Tyler. And then I'd start like maybe like strutting across the water, you know? Maybe that's who you are right now. Maybe you're thinking, why would you like encourage people to have weak faith? Well, I'm not encouraging you to have that at all, but maybe you do. But don't be the person who, who, who thinks your faith is stronger than it actually is. Be because that's not who you're supposed to be in this story. And so if you're seeing yourself as the person who actually would walk across the water firmly and boldly, not the right story for you. You're, you're learning the wrong lesson. You need to erase that out of your mind. We need to stop passing judgment on Peter because... We look at Peter and we're tempted to think, why ask for something so boldly in one moment to simply cower in the next? Like, Tyler, you don't understand. The thing I don't get about Peter is he's just so pumped to get on the water, but once he gets on the water, he, he loses his faith. That's not the type of believer that we need to be preaching to. I'm sorry, but that's the types of believers we are. 
Do you want to know how I know that? Because it's really easy for us to look at this scripture and think, man, Peter, you're a loser. I'd have walked all the way. The reason you think that, the reason I'm tempted to think that is because I've never been asked to step out on water. But let me challenge you, how many times have you prayed? And I, I mean, I think I'm on time 1,765,000, trillion, 4 billion times that I've said, God, whatever it takes, make me more like Jesus. Take this sin from me. I'm sick of it. Make me more like Christ. Do whatever it takes to make me more like Jesus. God, let me see Jesus more clearly. Grow deep in my affection for Jesus. I pray, I beg, please do this in me. And then all of a sudden, God answers our prayer. And he doesn't answer it in exactly the way we thought he would. See, we need to be really careful to be the church and to be the American church to pray for a deepening affection of Jesus, a deeper walk with Jesus, and not be willing to rejoice when that means suffering. We need to be really careful as the American church not to be praying for revival and that, that God would rejuvenate His church in this land and that He would challenge us, that maybe He would even challenge our commitment to the local church and then be upset when He sends us a pandemic. I've all too often prayed, God, make me more like Jesus, and then felt really uneasy about the way in which he answered that prayer. You know, I think what Peter would say to us in that moment is he would say, don't become disillusioned when God uses what feels like a raging sea to refine you into the image of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't become disillusioned when God answers your prayer to be more like Jesus and it comes through means that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. I want us to trust that God is sovereign, not only in the good, easy moments, but in moments like these, and that he is doing a work in his church. And I think if we will take some lessons from this passage of Scripture, which there are many, maybe you thought of some that are greater than mine just in our short time together. But I think if we take these lessons, if we will look to Christ, if we will look away from ourselves, if we will trust in the cross of Christ over our circumstances, then I think that will produce in us the assurance that these disciples found in this boat. You see, at the end of all of this, as, as they are, are in terror, and at one point they, they think they see a ghost, and then they're like, oh man, 
Peter's dying, <laughs> right? Like, they don't really know how this is going to turn out. So Peter just starts sinking, and they're like, man, we really liked Peter. <laughs> like, he's, oh, man, I'm sorry, bro. Like, see you on the other side. Like, it's through all of this, through, through every one of those moments that they end up declaring in verse 33, truly, you are the Son of God. Not, man, wow, with just a little faith, we can get across the storm in the Sea of Galilee. No, I think when he said, take heart, it is I, do not fear, I think they really heard him. And even on the other side, what they were left with through all of this is, wow, <laughs> truly, you are the Son of God. You know, 30, 30 years, 30 years from this moment, Peter, at his own request, will die upside down on a cross. 30 years after sinking in the Sea of Galilee, Peter is going to die upside down on a cross. Not because he was extraordinarily courageous, but because he spent his life lifting his eyes and truly seeing Jesus. As we walk away, I want us to realize this. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we begin to realize is that just like the raging sea, all of the things in life that are meant to bring us fear have been firmly planted under our Savior's feet. You know, Peter's feet began to sank when his mind became doubled. All of these circumstances that were meant to derail these followers of Jesus were not derailed. Why? Because the only feet that didn't sink, the only feet that mattered in this story, were firmly planted on top of all of those things. Because not only does God deliver us physically from the raging sea, He is free and willing to deliver us from the captivity of ourselves. Today, my prayer is that we would simply cry out to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness and Your mercy to us. We thank you that you have so clearly painted a picture of Jesus for us, that he truly is the only one who is able to save us. And my prayer this morning is that we would cry out to you, believer and unbeliever alike, that we would afresh fix our eyes upon Jesus and upon his work on the cross for the children of God, that we would confess our sins this morning and that we would fix our eyes away from our circumstances, away from ourselves to Jesus, and in doing so that we would lose our fear, knowing that anything that comes into this life that is meant to derail us ultimately has zero power in your plan. Thank you for that kindness. Thank you for that hope. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.